Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You need to talk about yourself because you are the primary advocate for your career. Other people are just not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. So if you don't put forth what you'd like people to understand, there's a good chance they won't get it. Why did I become an executive coach? I saw lots of great people fail to get ahead at work, while their much less talented peers blew right past them. That made me furious, but also curious. What were great people getting wrong? It came down to helping them re-examine what drove success and then helping them make critical shifts one hard truth at a time. Feel like you're doing everything you were told, but you're not moving ahead at work nor having the impact you seek? Then welcome to 97% Effective with Michael Winderoth, where we skip feel-good, happy talk and engage experts in pointed conversations about what it really takes to move the needle at work and your career. So if you feel stalled or frustrated or seek that extra edge as you move to the next level, then look no further. This is the Hard Truths Playbook you never got. This is Michael Wenderoth, and you're listening to 97% Effective. In my previous episode, I spoke with Michael Melcher, executive coach, about his book, Your Invisible Network. In our conversation, we covered important core practices on building relationships. In this continuation episode, I asked Michael to clarify what he means when he says, winging it is overrated. You're going to enjoy part two of our talk today. Michael not only shares where structure and planning fits into your networking, but also how to talk about yourself without being gross, the power of convening, and much more. Enjoy. Michael, we ended our last episode talking about how many people may feel going into a conversation, setting it up, and then winging it. That's not what you're saying at all in the book. In fact, you talk a lot about structure, how to make things happen, even use scripts. Can we talk a little bit about this, what may feel to some people like this tension of like, you want to be open to randomness, but you're not saying that means wing it. Can you say more about where structure fits in and planning fits in? Sure. And I'll, I'll start by saying that you and I are both in the coaching world. And there's a type of orthodoxy in coaching training, which is all about the client knows the answers. And so the coach is supposed to just ask questions and listen such that the client will reveal his or her own answers. And generally, I think that's very true and very powerful. And honestly, one of the things I learned in actually being a coach is to listen more and talk less and avoid my initial brilliant responses in favor of (laughs) maybe a brilliant response that could come after the client has talked for an hour, right? However, (laughs) however, I've just learned through experience over the last 20 years that on certain subjects, 
often related to communications, there are practices that work and practices that don't. And it doesn't really serve anybody for me to say, well, what do you think you should say here? And how would you like to approach it? Because I just kind of know what will fly. One of my philosophies is that winging it is very overrated. And this is kind of a secret weapon that introverts have. So if you look at extroverts versus introverts, extroverts will tend to wing it more. We feel much more comfortable just striking up a conversation. It's not taxing for us. We might enjoy it. We might have gotten a lot of positive results from our ability to you know, chat people up and create rapport and so forth. But what can happen is that we don't prepare enough for the particular conversation. We sort of assume that what comes out of our mouths will both be clever and possibly very authentic and therefore good. Whereas introverts tend to feel less confident about that and therefore will do more preparation. But the result is that they actually know what they're trying to say and they know what to say and they also know when to stop talking and start listening. So what does this mean in terms of any given conversation? Well, you should know a couple of things The first is, what are you going to say about yourself? How much of yourself are you going to convey? What are the important points? And what can you just leave on the cutting room floor? That's actually a fairly difficult thing to figure out, right? Because, you know, a lot could go into the 30 or 40 seconds that we have to start, but you really only have 30 or 40 seconds to do it. So you have to be a little bit mindful. The second thing is, what am I trying to get out of this conversation? What do I imagine I might learn from this person, keeping in mind that you might learn things you don't anticipate, right? So think about that. And then the next step is when you start a conversation, you can create the agenda. You can do this even if you're talking to a super powerful senior person. It's very light, but it says something like, hey, Michael, uh, really glad you're taking the time to talk today. Uh, I know I can learn a lot from you. I'm in the process of marketing my own book, doing the pre-marketing, and you've just gone through it yourself. So I'd like to learn what are the two or three things that really worked for you. And maybe if there's something that didn't work, you could share that with me. And I'd be happy to cover anything else you might like. Does that work for you? Right? So it's sort of very simple statement, relatively specific, but open. And then you check, is that, is that good for you? 95% of the time they're going to say, yeah, that's amazing. That's great. Right. So that's kind of an example of not winging it, of really just putting a little bit of thought ahead of time into what you're trying to accomplish. And with that foundation, you can have a much richer, more useful conversation. So the framing it up and that example, very concise, very short, gives focus to the discussion, being respectful because you're checking in with the other individual. You've talked about kind of going through and being open that minute 32 where the magic can happen. Not 100% of the time. <laughs> Batting 300, you said you're doing well. What about the end? You know, here's where the, the, the part at the end. How should people be thinking about that? Sure. Well, you want to know that there's going to be an end. So if you've agreed to talk for 30 minutes, you just talk for 30 minutes. If it's 15 minutes, you stop at 15 minutes and either end it or say, we only scheduled 15 minutes. I want to be respectful of your time. So you acknowledge the time. You say something positive about the value it's been uh, being with them. You thank them for their time. You can summarize one or two things that you brought from the conversation that had an impact. People, people love knowing what they said actually made a difference because they don't necessarily know what it is. And then a good tip to try to do is to say, this has been really helpful. 
would it be okay if I checked in in another three months if I have any further questions? And they'll generally say yes. And that is actually more for you than for them. It gives you permission to reach out again and not be stuck in this bog of, well, I already asked them. I don't want to overdo it, this or that. No, well, they said yes, or, or they said no, right? But at least you're clear about that. So that's just kind of a nice, efficient way of doing it. And then always send a thank you note afterwards. I would recommend, I love handwritten notes, but I would just recommend an email note because if you wait longer than a day, you might forget it. I'm a real stickler about this. You either, you can always thank for their time. You can thank them for whatever they taught you. It's just a very good practice and it it makes a difference. I I notice who says thank you to me and who doesn't. I, I won't say I make it the sole judgment of them, but I, I keep it in mind. And you know, in, there's a character in the book who is a real client, a woman who grew up in China and then came to the U.S. And over a 12-year period, she did 435 networking meetings in a variety of, which is like one to two a week. Sent a thank you note for every single one of them. Disciplined, persistent, and I, I'm glad you've hammered on that point. I'm a stickler about it as well. In the conversation, so there's this framing, openness, you're deepening the relationships. You may you know, just be exploring. You may be offering some of those the bids or you know, 15% risk that you talked about. One of the themes that comes up, and I want to talk about, so you have a whole chapter on it, which you titled, Talking About Yourself Without Being Gross. <laughs> <laughs> we we could talk you, you you use one of our series Emily in Paris which we could we could go very deep on for those who haven't seen it I would suggest taking a look at it how Emily navigates the American in Paris talking about yourself makes a lot of people very uncomfortable they will call that self promotion you know bragging about themselves why because you really do unpack this in the book, but why do you need to talk about yourself? And, and then how do you do it without, in a way that, that, that doesn't feel gross? Yeah. Well, you need to talk about yourself because you are the primary advocate for your career. Other people are just not thinking about you. They're thinking about themselves. So if you don't put forth what you'd like people to understand, there's a good chance they won't get it. Decisions are made in rooms that you're not in. So you want to equip your friends, allies, colleagues, bosses with the information that will get you that. And people are not necessarily aware of what your goals are, your strengths, your accomplishments. They they often have a limited or somewhat outdated view of who you are, what's important to you. They might not know what's really important right now. The other thing is that I would just say that when you talk about yourself, you encourage other people to talk about themselves too. So they get a benefit. You might be able to help them. You might be able to draw them out. So it's kind of a win-win if you can if you can make it happen. I think there's some people who have a type of wishful thinking about how the career world works. And they will say that what really matters is producing good results. But I feel like they're trying to convince themselves of that because they find it very awkward, the idea of going out and trying to meet people and kind of promoting themselves. And so they're kind of doubling down on this belief, which they don't even really believe themselves. It's just easier to pretend to believe that rather than to do the work of going out and talking to them pe- people. So that's like why it's important. I don't think there's a huge amount of debate there. Now, how you do it, 
that's tough. And I, I love the Emily in Paris uh, Netflix chapter because Emily is not a role model for doing this. She is an example of how hard it is to do and how much you can screw up, right? So she is just a go-getter person cut out of a fabric of total American cloth. I mean, she was just can-do spirit, let me add it, let me talk business. And she just goes from one cringeworthy moment to another. She, she is like overperforming the go out there and talk to people. And I love it because I like to, you know, I like to surface issues. I like to get out our fears on the table. And, you know, she's played by a beautiful, charming actress, but she's kind of doing everything wrong. And um, let's analyze what's going on. And it's really, how do you get on that fine balance of decorum where you're being promotional, but not too much, or you're being polite, but you're not pulling back too much. And, and it's tough. So some of the things that work are first, you just have to practice. You have to practice talking about yourself in different ways. And it is not obvious what is going to work best or what you will like best. One thing you could do is to lean in more to your interests rather than your accomplishments. So if somebody is interested in, I don't know, fine cheeses or traveling to Southeast Asia or going into coaching or starting a business or learning another language. Like I find that kind of interesting. If they talk about their 10 years of experience in management consulting or their six years of experience leading regional sales or their, you know, coding success, I mean, what do I do with that? It's just not that, that interesting. A second thing is you can get a lot better at listening so one of the exercises in the book is to kind of analyze in any given conversation what percentage of listening versus talking you do. And I would encourage people to try to push toward 70 to 80% listening. I don't do that. It's a constant effort to do it, but it allows you to be much more selective about what you say and have a more positive impact. And I think that you need to think about what your kind of what your offering is, like what are your core competencies, what can you really do, and and kind of think about those in different ways. So there, there are a bunch of exercises in the chapter that help you just construct some different themes that you can talk from, and then you just play around and see what's really going to work. And, and, you know, this is the thing about soft skills in general that is a challenge for a lot of people because people would like a specific formula to use in every situation. And if you don't give them a specific formula, they may think, well, you're not really giving me the correct answer. You're probably not that good. But the thing is, there is no specific formula. So I can provide different ingredients and then you're the one that needs to kind of put them together in different ways and then see what the best result is for you. There is that fine line and the practice, the the Chinese executive that you brought up earlier, I am sure by the, you know, conversation 400, she has tried out different things and adjusted and gotten much better in that last hundred than she was on the first 50 or a hundred. So Michael, if you're doing these things, you've kind of opened yourself up, you've followed prescriptions in the book to be open, to think structured about it, creating, and then starting to maintain You've already set some expectations that, you know, two out of every 10 are not going to be so great, five will be so-so, and, and three, you might be hitting it out of the park. But what often comes up is I'm doing stuff, and we live in this world of everything has to happen immediately. I've done this, 
the result will come and it will come now. <laughs> we live in the now world, Amazon Prime, everything's on demand. Uh, but it doesn't always happen that way. And that can create a lot of frustration. The, the magic isn't happening. I'm doing those prescriptions in the first two thirds of the book. What might be going on? Is this just the way it happens or might people still be not doing something wrong? And this probably goes into the part around leveraging in your book. What, what do you typically see if things don't start to suddenly happen? What may be happening there? You know, that is where talking to somebody uh, knowledgeable could be useful because in a way you're asking, let's do an audit of one might be missing here, right? And it's going to be different for different people. What you started with, you kind of answered the major question. This is a long-term investment, right? So there are times when you want to get immediate results. You might be looking for a job. You might be trying to make a connection in a particular vertical. And that intense desire can actually fuel some really good work, right? But the long-term benefit is the greatest, right? So part of, I love that you brought up Amazon Prime. This is the opposite of Amazon Prime, okay? It's the opposite of DoorDash. It's the opposite of Netflix on demand. There's nothing on demand. It's very old school in a lot of ways. So to know that, that and this is kind of the missing ingredient. I mean, I, I also feel like one of the reasons my publisher was interested in this book, because you know there are different types of networking books published all the time, is that we just have come out of this pandemic where not only have uh, real-world interactions been downplayed for some time, but there is a whole generation of people who have entered the workforce without really having those. And even before the pandemic, their relative use of social media was you know, quite high compared to real-world interactions compared to somebody of, let's say, my age or, or your age, right? And so how do you actually manage the world of real-world interactions? And what can you expect from them? And I think it's interesting because I would both say don't expect immediate success, but you might actually have very quick success, right? It, it's unexpectedly. So that's that's one point. The second thing is, as a coach, I would say, whenever you try to make some kind of change in your life, you are very quickly going to run up against the reasons why you haven't done that before, right? Because if change was easy, you would just do it. You would buy a book at the airport bookstore, do it, and you're and you're done. But for any meaningful change. It could be fitness. It could be health. It could be becoming more patient and focus. It could be uh, being a more charismatic leader. It could be being a better spouse. It could be being more patient with children. Whatever those things are, there, there's kind of a reason why it's been hard for you to do it so far. So you're going to start something and then you're going to find a certain amount of resistance, right? Or as you say, you start networking, then you just sort of stop for some reason. And that is the moment where you kind of take a look. Okay, what, what's going on here? What was easy? What's hard? What's coming up for me? And and then if you can name it, I think you're more likely to, to push through. I remember I had a client years ago who was a lawyer who wanted to do something outside of law. And he was so gung-ho. He was really positive energy. He went out. He talked to some people. And then he got just very dispirited one day. And I was kind of probing, probing into it. And uh, I'm like, well, what are you expecting? And he said, you know what? 
I kind of was expecting to be just like one meeting and I'd be done. Like I'd be the right person and I'd be, I'd be finished. So I was so excited because I was going to make that one thing happen. And then it didn't happen. And I realized, oh, it's a much longer slog. I'm like, all right. There is a, an exercise you're probably familiar with in the book. It's called the perspectives wheel where you take a situation like I'm demotivated or I haven't gotten results or, you know, I don't think I performed well on the podcast, whatever. And it forces you to look at, to come up with eight different perspectives for the same thing, eight different versions of what might be happening. And that I think is also very helpful as a way of, 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 of reframing what's going on and kind of getting beyond your initial reaction. But then the final thing I would say, and this is kind of why I wrote my book, is I think one reason why people don't do this is that they don't quite know what they're supposed to do. Like they generally get the idea they should build relationships and connect with people, but they're not exactly sure which people or how to do it or how much time it takes. And also when they've done enough. So the a big principle in this book that was also in my previous book that was called The Creative Lawyer is this idea of 20 minutes a day. So I want people to work on their relationships 20 minutes a day. And there are, at the end, there are examples in each chapter, and at the, end, the very last chapter is like 100 more exercises you can do. Because to make it work, it has to fit in your life as it is. You can't expect yourself to become a new person with new priorities overnight. You just have to kind of add it on top of what you're doing already. And people think a lot about, well, what's the minimum I need to do? But you should also think about what's the maximum you need to do. Because if you can't, you need to be able to stop doing it too. Otherwise, it won't be sustainable. So I would say that has been the other missing ingredient is breaking it down into this drip, drip, drip that you can do most days and know you're kind of doing the right thing and then not have to think about it anymore. So this just becomes a sort of thing you do, like brushing your teeth, as opposed to some big project you, you have to work on. You've been listening to 97% Effective with your host, executive coach, Michael Winderoff. If this interview is making you think, make sure to share it with a friend. Now, back to our interview. The 20-minute exercises, and I did several of them as I was reading the book. Yeah, those are short and they fit in. One point I did want to bring up because I thought that you you raised this well in the book to that question of when things aren't, you know, magically happening, persistence, having expectations, you know, being open to things. But also you really pointed out that a lot of people aren't even clear on what they need or what they want. Is it I mean, speaking coach to coach on this, is it simply asking someone to really articulate what is it they want to get out of this? What do they need? And then shutting up and having them really talk through it? Or are there other ways that people can get to their needs faster? Well, one of the best coaching questions is, what do you want? And then just shut up until they say something. And and a related one that a fellow friend of ours, Craig Miller, who also lives in Spain, uses is, what do you care about? I mean, it's in, in, okay, what do I care about? You know, And so, yeah, you kind of ask yourself what you want and ask it enough times that it's the true want as opposed to what they think they should want, right? And then 
there is another section of the book that talks about, I call it expanding your ask. So this is actually an important point for people to understand. There are a lot of ways that people could help you and that you can help them. And yet we're not necessarily aware of those things, right? So let's say I am trying to expand my business and I want to get some, you know, sweet new big deal with a major, let's say professional services firm, law firm, accounting, consulting, what have you. And, you know, I have a sense of how I want to do this. Like it'd be this big program. You'd take a bunch of partners, run through a year long thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So that's what I want. Okay. Therefore, what am I trying to get? Well, I guess I want to meet key decision makers who could buy such a thing. All right. Well, what else might help me get there? Well, I could get a lay of the land of what different firms are doing and how much they've invested so far. All right. What else? Well, I could, you know, talk to people and see what their experience has been with different vendors. I could ask somebody for feedback about this program. I could figure out what's the way do you get in? Do you start with a really tiny engagement and, and kind of land and expand as they say, or do you try to hold out for the big one? Do I need to produce more like thought leadership, put stuff out? Do, do I need a friend to um, give me kind of support when I'm feeling kind of ground down, right? There are just tons of different ways people can help you in any kind of effort. And it goes beyond that first transactional thing of, I want this thing to happen, right? And so I think another way to help you be successful is, is to really just think more broadly about what are all the different things that might feed into this? Because they're all kind of like energy currents that could lead toward, toward what you want. It's not just that one transactional thing. Yeah, I like that image of the energy currents. And also a point you bring up by expanding, there may be certain things that are very easy for someone to do and some that may be heavy lifts. You give a couple examples of you know, friends where you were offering bids and they didn't reciprocate, but that was because it would involve them rearranging their life and their whole family and their weekend, which was more than they wanted to, to go for. Yeah, let's go into that. Like, because if you think about it, any my former shrink once told me this. Like, you have your needs, I have my needs. Our relationship is the intersection of those needs, right? So, if I'm talking to you or any other person, and I'm putting forth some type of possibility, all right, that's how I think about what could be cool. But you have your own reality, right? And I don't necessarily know what you need or how it kind of fits with what I need. So that's why we have this talk and we kind of work, work this out. Um, it's a basic principle of negotiation that when you're asking for things, things that are really important to you might be relatively easy for the other side to give. And things that are not at all important to you may be really quite hard for the other side to give. So the way this might come out in a negotiation tends to be like salary versus title, right? Some places will give you any title you want as long as they don't have to pay very much, but others have a very, very strict you know, um, kind of schema of how the titles go and they cannot possibly deviate, but they might have some more money here or a signing bonus or this or that, but you're not going to know that. All you can do is sort of say, here are the things I'm interested in. What are your thoughts? And see how they come back. And you give the example from the book, this client who I call Rishi, who we, you know, we had a very tight relationship and I really liked it. We had a lot in common. We, we, we both had twin, twin sons 
And I'm like, oh, cool. We're going to hang out because we're in like the same neighborhood. And I would kind of ping him from time to time. And how about this? How about that? Let's get our families together, you know, twin power. And nothing kind of took. And I'm like, what happened here? I thought <laughs> I thought we had a connection. And I was kind of thinking, well, I, I guess it you know, doesn't feel the same way from your side. And I, I illustrate in the book that whole perspectives wheel with, with what are the different stories going on to my head about why it's not happening. And then I actually sat down with him one day and I said, hey, um, I want to use this in my book. What do you think? What was going on? He said, you know what? As you said, it takes a lot for me to get my wife and kids lined up for something. Like we have a really busy life. And so I have to use a lot of capital to pull them in. But to just meet you personally is very easy for me. And I was coming from the other side. I thought, oh, well, this is more open. This is less selfish. I'm showing an interest in your family. Surely that'll be easy for you. No, the thing I thought might be easy was actually super hard for him. And the thing I thought might be kind of like selfish was actually what he preferred. So it's just like a, you, you kind of work out what is really going to meet both of your needs. And it's not obvious up front. Yeah. And, and you found that out afterwards when you were talking to him. Yeah, but I did. Well, what happened is I made these different pings and then and then I sent him, I think, a news article or something on some totally different subject. Maybe it was a podcast recommendation. And then he came back and said, hey, let's get together for coffee. I'm in the neighborhood. I'd like to come back to the neighborhood. He had moved away. Okay. I, I didn't know where that came. And then we had coffee. And then I decided to say, you know, what was what was going on here? And that's how we we kind of plumbed that that situation. It strikes me. This has just occurred to me as you were talking through that and and how certain things may be difficult or easy for another individual that we may not know, you may start to discover those things as you deepen a relationship, as those things come up in conversation. And also, I think there's very rich material if we kind of look from the field of negotiations, which which you've looked at as a lot of negotiation is the more you understand about the other person, you know, what's difficult, what's easy for them, you can construct things that that work for both people or help you help kind of everyone get a more benefit out of it. So just a thought on that. Well, it's true. In in any, if you look at any like consultative sales process, it's really all about understanding needs. Like you're trying as much as possible to understand the needs of the client before you ever try to sell anything. And you do that by asking lots of open-ended questions, coaching type questions, and by a lot of listening, as opposed to walking in thinking you know what they want and trying to deliver it. it and a lot of Human interactions are like that. I mean, dating is like that. Marriage is like that. You know, you the more attention you pay to really being curious and trying to understand from them what's important to to them, then the more successful you're going to be in in kind of addressing those needs. Yeah. Up to this point, Michael, we've talked a lot about one-on-one relationships and deepening things that way. And and one of the things as you get like kind of further in your career, or we talk about those weak ties, there's that conundrum. The more you have, the less time you can actually spend with individuals. You have a chapter that's around, con- you know, exercise your convening power. Of course, I saw power and I was immediately <laughs> gravitated. What does that mean? But it's a different take on how you build relationships or how you how you can do that in a, in a different way. Can you share a little bit about that? Again, it's a I like the title of it, but it's a it's an interesting chapter that may also be a way to build relationships and deepen them. Sure. This is one of my favorite chapters to write. It comes toward the end, but it's a practice people can use right away. And yeah, exercising your convening power, 
means that you become the arranger, you become the orchestrator, you become the inviter of people. And number one, it allows you to interact with multiple people at the same time. Number two, it allows you to facilitate positive interactions among people separate from you. This is part of another idea I have, which is called being a benefactor. There are ways that you can start contributing to others, even if you, you know, are, don't feel especially powerful yourself. And three, there is, you know, a lot of evidence that groups are really good for people and they're good for your mental health. They're good for your success. People become successful in groups. And so if you can find groups to be part of or create your own group in some way, it is a benefit. And then this lasts over time. Like you might get together with a couple of friends twice a year, but over 10 years that creates a very powerful type of thing. So I, I really want people to think about, okay, how, how could I create convening power? How might I start? And I, I give a lot of different examples of, of how you might kick this off. You could join something existing. You could create your own. You could start big. You could start small. You could be very exclusive and require a high level of commitment. You could be very open and let whoever shows up come. And then you just see how it goes. And then the other thing I would say is that when you're doing a kind of convening, whether it's a professional organization or having a dinner party or an alumni event or what have you, you want it to be something you're going to enjoy yourself because whenever you're trying to convene, you're going to spend a certain amount of time sending invitations and bugging people who should have responded to the first invitation. And so you need a little bit to kind of carry you through that type of thing. But I think it is a, a like wonderful thing to develop. And the earlier you develop it in your career, the more benefit you're going to get from it. There are, there are some great examples and that got me thinking about things and it's, it's, I would, I would add here, it's not necessarily about doing more work. Yes, you may have that, but if you can build something that's got a recurring mechanism that the community starts to chip in and do things, it can become a very powerful recurring force that's actually requires less of you feeling like you've got to constantly reach out and to push into other networks. People will kind of come into yours. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a phrase in teamwork that is, what is the conversation that wants to happen? And I would say there's, you could have an equal phrase in convening, what is a group that wants to come into existence, right? What, what is just waiting to be born there and I can just help it along the way and then it's going to take on its own life. Yeah. I just had a guest on who, who created something that exactly <laughs> answered that question and it totally took off. Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure. Any final important question that I, we didn't get to that you want to bring up? Well, first, I want to commend you on your excellent preparation. You definitely did not wing it. Audience, Michael Wanderoth sent me an extensive detailed memo of what he would like to cover, and it really made it easy for me to be successful. So thank you for that. Even Michael Melcher likes to know how to be successful in a podcast. The final thing I would just share is that relationships are a form of wealth. They're an asset you can develop this wealth even if you start with nothing. Some people may have more relational assets at the beginning, but that doesn't mean you can't get them yourself. And that this is a form of wealth that nobody can ever take away from you. And you don't spend it down. The more you build and even leverage your relationships, it actually makes them stronger, not weaker or used up. 
So it's something that's in your control and there's no reason you can't start today. Well put. And thank you for <laughs> acknowledging the, the preparation. But I also want to come back to you and say, we've also done a bunch of co-creation here <laughs> in this podcast. There was a structure and script, but we deviated. We went down some interesting areas. I learned a lot from you <laughs> in terms of how to structure and put together a good podcast. So I thank you for that as well. It's minute 32, minute 32, minute 32. Minute 32. <laughs> yeah. If anyone wants to find me, actually just go to your invisible network.com. Uh, that's my book title. It's also a website. It will take you to a number of inter interlocking Michael Melcher related properties. So that's really all you need to find more about me or my writing or, or what have you. And, you know, I do think this book can really help a lot of people. It might help you and it might help people in your world. And it really makes the perfect graduation or a new, new job gift. So problem solved. Immensely practical. Thank you, Michael. And thank you, other Michael. Thanks for listening to 97% Effective, where we skip happy talk and help you break through and ascend one hard truth at a time. Help others discover this show. Leave a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you like what you heard, you can get free resources, including the first chapters of Michael's book, Get Promoted, on his website, www.changwinderoth.com. That's www.changwinderoth.com.